0: Welcome to the Open to Hope Show. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, with my daughter and co-host. Dr. Heidi Horsley. Well, Heidi, we have got a great guest today, and we have also got a really impelling topic, particularly during this time of COVID, talking about loneliness. And it, it's just such an important topic because without even without the COVID, there have been a lot of loneliness in the world, and we have the world's leading expert on loneliness, which is pretty amazing.
1: Yes, mom, I'm looking forward to today's show. As you said, we're talking about loneliness, and our guest today will be Dr. J.W. Freiberg, who goes by Terry. And Dr. Freiberg has a really fascinating background. He has a PhD in social psychology, and he also has a law degree. So he's kind of merged those two together. Uh, He's a former assistant professor at Boston University, and he has a new book called Surrounded by Others and Yet So Alone, A Lawyer's Case Stories of Love, Loneliness, and Litigation because as I said, he's an attorney. And he also has an award-winning book called Four Seasons of Loneliness. There's other things too, which we will get to and we'll have him let us know everything he is doing because he is doing a lot in this field. So
0: welcome to the show, Terry.
2: Thanks so very much.
0: It's great having you on today, Terry. And and as I said, it's such an important topic because loneliness, uh, I guess you could call it pretty epidemic right now, couldn't you?
2: Yes, indeed. In fact, that term was used by the Surgeon General of the United States, uh, Vivek Murthy. Um, About 38% of Americans uh, identified in 2010 as chronically lonely. And by that, I don't mean everyday loneliness. We all feel lonely from time to time, just as we're all sad from time to time. But chronic loneliness, just like clinical depression, those are very different from being everyday lonely or everyday sad.
0: Mm-hmm. And there are some people who are kind of hermits and probably like it. And what's the difference with that? People who who let us know that they don't want to be bothered.
2: And the, I think the very first line of my 2016 book, Four Seasons of Loneliness, is this book is about loneliness, not solitude. Mm-hmm. There are people who are quite skillful at being alone. Some do it quite on purpose and have wonderfully happy lives Um, but some people who are quite alone aren't doing it on purpose they're trapped in it and it's terribly painful and some of them do become chronically lonely which is a very serious psychological state of affairs that leads to a great amount of additional illness and a much shortened lifespan
0: Mm. you know i was saying uh we were talking a little bit about the show and uh I was saying that it's interesting because uh, I did some traveling with my husband over the years and there were times when he was working and I was in a city by myself and I felt lonely. It's interesting because you can recognize lonely, can't you?
2: I think you're quite right. And that's why I really had to write two books that work together. The 2016 effort called Four Seasons of Loneliness is about people who become chronically lonely because they're quite isolated in the world and not on purpose. And the other half of chronically lonely people aren't alone in the world, it's just that their relationships are so compromised and unfulfilling and unsoothing that they feel just as alone as totally isolated persons do.
1: Well, well, it's interesting, and I know you've heard this, Terry, but you know, Robin Williams, before his death wrote something about this. My mom and I were just talking about it. He basically said, the worst thing in life is to end up with people that make you feel all alone. So, you know, sometimes you can, I I think when I'm walking around New York City and pre-pandemic it was crowded, it's an interesting thought. It's like you're walking around and yet sometimes you can still feel lonely even if there's people there.
2: Absolutely true. And uh, my clever website, uh, a young, dynamic person who made my website, jwfreiburg.com, has a little video on there of people in big cities feeling and and visually being quite alone, notwithstanding thousands of people passing them by on the sidewalk where where they're standing.
0: Yeah, Heidi, I I just wanted to get to you for a minute because um, it's an interesting case study that you had COVID and uh, you were one of the first five thousand people to have COVID, and you were isolated in your home for two weeks. Did you feel lonely? You, this was in March, right? Uh, yes,
1: yeah, so it was back in March. Um,
0: I felt I
1: started to feel depressed. now I don't know if that was lonely. I had a hard time distinguishing it. There were people outside of my bedroom, my family. I was in my bedroom by myself, um, and I did. I felt down. I started feeling down, which I usually never feel um so i had to start moving my body and walking and doing like just in my little room because i felt yeah i could tell that i was starting to get in a a depressed kind of state now i don't know if that was a lonely state or not i don't know the difference so
2: it's very fascinating to me that you said you got some relief from moving your body because what we've learned in the last uh, 20 years is how important the somatic aspect of loneliness is just as in trauma. Mm -hmm. So the uh, last 40 years, uh, the trauma research has shown that they need to work with people with more than talk therapy. They They need to approach with body techniques, whether it be theater or yoga or other ways in dealing with people on a somatic level. And I think when we deal with loneliness, it's quite the same because trauma the reaction to fear and loneliness, the reaction to separation, both come from the parietal lobe of the brain. That's that's our animal cells talking to us. We're the kind of animal that is actually wired to be with others. There are other animals like this, the cetacean mammals, the, sea, the sea-going mammals, elephants, some primates just a few others like us are family-linked small pod social animals. We are actually wired to feel fear and afraid and danger when we're separated from others. We're made to be with others who are close to us, either a family link or a small pod linkage. So it is fascinating to me that you said you got some relief when you started to do some walk around or exercise, whatever you could manage in that room.
1: Yes, I felt the need to walk and I did. I put on a Fitbit and walked 10,000 steps in my room a day mm-hmm. and it made me feel better and I also achieved something. And it's interesting what you're saying because I know that you went to Harvard Law School so and I know that you're connected to Harvard in that way so I know that you've heard about the study, the, lo- the longitudinal study by with men.
2: Absolutely, it's- a-
1: uh, 75 years they followed the same men and found that the most important thing in their lives was the significant of relation- the significance of relationships, close relationships.
2: Yes, the correlation of close relationships uh, was highest with good health and mental stability and all sorts of good outcomes more than anything else. It correlated more closely than did high income or prestigious work. Being happy with others is an element of peace and calm and therefore psychological stability and also physiological health.
0: I wanted to get to a couple of uh, emails we had because... uh, I had a woman that sent an email that said, my husband died of a heart attack at age 40 last year, and now I'm sheltering in alone, and I'm feeling really lonely, and I'm sad because I can't visit my mother and dad who've been my support. So that's pretty incredible now with COVID. Here she is by herself. Her husband died only a year ago, so she's not only grieving his loss, loss of your spouse, but also sheltering alone. What are your thoughts about that?
2: It's, a, the, you know, it, it's crystal clear how heavy that would be on anybody, notwithstanding your psychological capacity to be alone in a productive and peaceful way. And, and of course, one of the amazing things we have in our era is the very medium we're speaking over, mm-hmm. i.e. picture-enhanced audio communication so whether it's zoom or it's facetime or the other technologies they're very powerful and people should really use them because unlike a phone call when we see the face of the person we're speaking to we're able to do what's called mirroring we have a, a, a capacity that it, it, again it extends to other animals that are like us too to to work out Uh, mentally, what the mental state of the other person is, uh, from their facial expressions, from their body language. So that I strongly suggest to this lady that she uh, put Zoom on her computer uh, and get to work in dealing hopefully with her parents, but with others she knows. There's, There's a lot of richness when you can both speak to someone and take in their facial expression and body language.
1: Well, you know what's interesting now, Terry? Everybody's got masks on. Yeah. And, you know, I, you want to smile at people, and you do, but you're not really sure if they even know you're smiling at them anymore because we can't read a lot of facial expressions outside, which I find it interesting and a little bit, it bothers me a little bit because then trying to make kind of nonverbal contact with people saying hi or yes, it's okay to be in the elevator with me or whatever. And they, sometimes we don't know it. People are thinking because we can't
2: read their faces. Absolutely. And these mirroring skills uh, can be very refined. You know, we don't just pick up on whether a person is seeming angry, but we have 20 words in the English language to describe anger, everything from rage to being bothered. And the reason there's 20 words for that and every other emotion that we read with our mirroring skills is because by the time we're adults, we're pretty good readers of what others intend and are thinking internally. And obviously the masks block that whole system and make it all but nil. Uh, so they are uh, quite uh, a blockage to, to to the kind of communication skills we develop as we mature.
0: And it's also difficult for older people like me, uh, who my hearing isn't like 100% anymore. And I'm surprised how much I lip read
2: <laughs> Good point.
0: Yeah, so, um, you know, you're, you're saying, what, what can you, you know, when uh, I would be able to pick it up a lot easier if uh, we had the masks off. Uh, you know, I enjoy, uh, Heidi and I did radio for a long time, internet radio, and I'm really enjoying so much more being able to see each other. Aren't you, Heidi? It's, it's a lot easier to interview, a lot more interesting.
1: Yes, I love doing it this way so that we can see Terry. And we can, you know, like you said, non-verbally and verbally communicate.
2: There's there's probably as much non-verbal uh, communication in communication as there is verbal. So as you speak to me, I just met you 10 minutes ago. By the way your your face moves, the, the angle you cock your head at, the nods you make when I say something, if you are following and agree, all of that information is, is taken in. And... Um, and and enriches our our, um, communication enormously.
0: Well, we've got another email here uh, from uh, Phyllis. She said, I'm in a high-risk group and my older sister's in the hospice program in another state. Her kids can't even see her, so there's been no point in my trying to visit. She only has days to live. I wonder how I will cope when she dies. I'm feeling flat and hollow. It seems surreal. So I'm wondering, how are people going to do after this COVID where they haven't been able to visit as far as loneliness and connection?
2: I think it's really a worry. Uh, we do have uh, one study that was done already. Uh, and it it reported uh, that the respondents um, gave a, a really sort of frightening amount of um, information about how they felt and how, how their uh, mental issues, because these were basically people who had issues um, were augmented by the distance and separation we're all experiencing. It, this is a very serious matter. And particularly uh, for seniors and for little children. Mm-hmm. And I understand totally the the pressure we're all under uh, to think through when children can get back to school because for them, uh, besides the learn, the interruption in learning that distance learning has has at least to this point um, uh, accomplished and apparently just a, a re- relatively modest percentage of, of content gets across to children in their, in their uh, internet kind of school substitute. But also children are busy practicing their connection skills. That's where they learn how to reach out to make friends, how to become accepted in groups of friends, how to deal with rejection. Remember high school? We all dealt with that. And uh, and learning to spot the class bully and how to stay away from him. All those skills are interrupted by this. So it's young children and I think we seniors who are suffering the most from this. And mm-hmm. And we need to be sound and solid here because I'm afraid this might go on longer than we hope.
0: Mm-hmm. So let's talk about some of the things that people can do. Heidi's talked about um, exercise. We have done some shows with Bessel van der Kolk and he had had some wonderful ideas about what you're talking about, theater, yoga, you know. I'm sure they're in your book too, right?
2: They're mentioned and and, um, they're wonderfully um, um, dealt with in uh, Bessel van der Kolk, V-A-N-D-E-R, new word, K-O-L-K. in in his book on trauma called The Body Keeps the Score. And um, I'm on the board of the uh, Trauma Research Foundation and we're just now initiating research into how these techniques might apply to helping people who are chronically lonely.
0: Oh, that's great. If you've got any, let's see some tips. Heidi, you've been lonely, shut off with COVID. You're you're actually isolating in New York City right now for two weeks because you teach at Columbia. And so you're there uh, isolating because you came from Arizona. And let's uh, throw out some ideas about what people can do.
1: Well, I like what Terry said, getting up and walking. And you also said yoga. Now tell me more about the, the you said something about theater, right?
2: Well, you can set up role-playing uh, in theater. I'm not talking about, uh, you know, Isbin or, or or acting out a regular drama, but you set up a role-play where, for example, someone has relevant to a given person who feels quite isolated. For example, many people have trouble reaching out to others. They're physically unattractive or feel that they are. And so they've been stopped so many times and disappointed so often that they cease reaching out. So you can create a role script where they reach out and where they learn to deal with um, rejection or acceptance or something ambiguous in the middle so you set, up, you set up role playing and then discuss how people deal with um, looking at their friendships, striking out to, to strengthen existing friendships or striking out to create new relationships.
0: So we could do uh, things like that, the movement. I, you know, I, I think we do have to look to the future. And I believe that one of the things that is gonna be most powerful in the future is peer support. I mean, when we finally get a vaccine or whatever, getting groups together or individuals together in these age groups who've had these experiences where family members have died and they haven't been able to cope with it now. And maybe we do that on the internet. I don't know. It just seems like we've got a group figure out how to get three or four people together for peer support.
2: I I couldn't possibly agree more with that. I'm, I'm um, a little uh, saddened by the fact that we're also, not about all of us, but many of us are caught up in the news media, caught up in how, how soon this will be over or let's hope it'll be over soon. Uh, it doesn't seem that as much energy is going into developing uh, mechanisms to deal with this now, even if it comes to, an, happily comes to an end s- sooner than one fears. Um, but the idea of 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 working with a group of others who have these issues and using these incredible uh, electronic tools that are available such as the um, as the zoom uh, meeting tool we're using right now would be an excellent way for one clinician to help half a dozen people sound out and work through these very issues you're underlining
0: mm-hmm. I think that that's really important. And reaching out, I want everyone to know there are places that you can go on the internet. One of our favorites for spouses who've had a loss is the Soaring Spirits Foundation. Michelle Neff Hernandez, she has a lot. Of, you can write notes to each other, letters. All, she has all sorts of uh, things going for bereaved spouses. Bonnie Carol from TAPS, Tragedy Assistance Program, has a huge amount of military support for military loss. Uh, the Compassionate Friends, uh, Helping Parents Heal. We've brought them all together in, a, in our national conference. So if you go to Open to Hope, in our conference we did this year, you will find a lot of the leading organizations who support people in grief and loss and, and they have uh, come together, so.
1: And also a lot of Facebook pages, private Facebook pages. I think what's important about coming together as you both are saying in the future, is it normal, it's gonna normalize what people are going through. So they're not gonna find that something's wrong with them. I'm finding right now at this point in the pandemic, people are starting to get pretty discouraged and even depressed. Mm -hmm. Um, And so like you said, Terry, we keep saying, we want it to be over, let's hurry, hurry, hurry. Well, we need to learn how to live with it right now in an adaptive way, like you're saying. And come up with tips and tools, which is why I think this show has been so important today.
0: Yep, it has. And tell us about uh, your website where we can find you, the Trauma Institute. Anything you wanna want to give to the people that are listening and watching?
2: Yes, I think there's some tools that might be of interest. If you go to either my name, if that's the easiest, J W Freiberg, um, F R E I B E R G um, dot com, or thelonelinessbooks dot com and you search around, there's, there's an area where I've put some papers I've written. And one is on how to use some tools to assess your relationships with others. And they're very powerful. We have two marvelous tools. One's called the UCLA Loneliness Index. And that, if you take that little 20 question uh, test, I've got it on there. Uh, and I've got the scoring mechanism on there. You can see whether you do have some relationships that matter or whether you're getting a little thin on them and need to think about reviv- revivifying those that are, that are frayed and even starting out to make new ones. And there's also a test um, called the, um, the relational assessment chart where you can take a look at individual friendships and see how vibrant they are or are not. But I think the most important thing to is to add loneliness to this list I'm about to give you. We all know we're supposed to eat cleverly and watch what we eat and eat good things and stay away from some of the of the uh, lesser uh, foods that our society uh, sells so readily. We all know we're supposed to get some exercise. Um, we all know we're supposed to moderate alcohol intake and so on. so we we to some to varying extents, we pay attention to these. Add to that list taking a good look at your relationships and working on them. Have you called your cousins lately? Have you checked in? It's enormously important to manage and and take care of relationships just the way you do your car. I mean, those who take their car in to be oiled uh, and serviced on time no doubt have longer life in their in their car and you'll have longer life as a person. If you think through your relationships and manage them, make those calls, make those invitations. It's all the harder to do during a COVID-19 distancing, but all the more important.
0: Yeah. Well, Terry, thank you so much for being on the show today. I, I love your work and everything you've done. You're uh, fabulous. And I know people are going to get a lot out of getting your books.
2: Well, I think the books are fun. I write in story. Format. I don't lecture away. I think a lot more gets across because everybody loves a good story. So I use, I turn my uh, most interesting law cases that have to do with this topic into story form. And um, unless all those people on Amazon are are seeing the world differently uh, than I understand, they they enjoy reading the books as they learn about these issues. Great.
0: Right.
1: Thank, well, thank you, you so much, Terry. You're you're. This topic is so timely and your books are needed more than ever right now as people are sheltering in and many, many people are, st- are feeling lonely. So uh, thank you.
2: Well, thank you both. The Open to Hope project you've animated for quite a while now is very impressive and quite important. It's been my honor to participate.
0: Thank you. And thanks everybody for joining us today. And Heidi and I want to remind you that if you've lost hope, please lean on ours until you find your own and God bless. I'm Dr. Heidi Horsley. You have been listening to Open to
1: Hope, the podcast. You can follow Open to Hope on Facebook, Instagram, and
0: Twitter. To learn more, visit us at opentohope.com and go to Apple Podcasts to subscribe. I'm Dr. Gloria Horsley. Join us again next week for another Open to Hope conversation, where we invite you to lean on our hope until you find your own.